Hey everyone, welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for music, movies, and more. I'm your host, Max Bowen. And I am very excited to be talking once again about the Rhode Island Author Expo, this time back with an in-person event. You can find out more at riauthorexpo.com. And as part of our lead-up to this wonderful event, I'll be talking to different authors every week, broadcast live on our Facebook page, also collected here in this podcast. To start things off, author Lisa Jacob and I talk about her recently released book, Carnival Farm, as well as her podcast, Dark Mystic Quill. Next up is Peter O'Donnell, and we talk all about his new In the Giant's Shadow series, a blend of thriller and sci-fi. Finally, it's Christine Lejeski, who has some of the most terrifying horror stories I've ever read. We talk about what makes a good horror story, and a short tale that she has included in the Wicked Women Anthology. And joining me right now is one of the writers who will be there, Lisa Jacob is here. Lisa, hi. welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Nice to be here. Thank oh, you. Right. Now, there is so much to cover, but we just want to start with your newest release, um, Carnival Farm. Uh, this was uh, released um, on uh, September uh, 22nd. Yes. And this is actually something of a autobiography for you, because this is actually, it kind of dovetails with your time as a carnival, which in itself is a whole separate story that That's I definitely want to touch on. Right. But this focuses on a veterinarian who takes on a petting zoo for a traveling carnival, thinking, this will be fine. <laughs> and it's not fine. Right. Um, how much of this, though, connects with your real life? Well, what happened was, is that there really was a petting zoo in a, in a carnival that I was in, but and the animals were in horrible condition. Ugh. So that's... I kind of said to myself, that's a what if. What if I was a veterinarian or I was an animal rights activist and I saw these animals in this kind of decrepit condition? So I would probably do whatever I could to help them. Mm -hmm. And that's how the story started. And it's, it's very general in, in how the, most of the stuff that happens in the book happened to me. Wow. Um, or happened to somebody in the carnival that mm -hmm. I was with. Um, and most of the story is really about, it, even though it's about the veterinarian, most of the story is about the husband, I mean, the, um, my husband, who was my boyfriend, who is Moose in the book. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful name for someone. And that was what he was called in the carnival. Really? He, they called him Moose. What did he do? He was a schlepper, pretty much. He, okay. he was He was one of the stronger ones in the carnival. Sounds it, yeah. And he was able to lift, like, um, one of the rides folds in half. Yeah. Okay? It's a motorcycle ride. Yeah. And it folds in half. He was able to, by himself, lift one side up and fold it in half. Wow. And he could do one side, then the other side, and then all they had to do was tie it up and... And that was that. That's, so, that's amazing. Yeah. He was, he was one of the stronger ones in the group. So cool. So where do you kind of draw the line for a story like this, uh, where, like, where you say, okay, this is my life, and then the rest is going to be fiction? It, well, I believe that real life inspires fiction, mm -hmm. and that without anyth anything going on in, in anybody's life, 
or any conflicts or anything like that. There is just no interest in, 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 in just boring things that go on. So I believe that, or I, what I try and do is I try and just take a lot of things from my, from my life and I do a what ifs. I do a lot of, like, uh, I would go down the street and see somebody walking into a church. Why are they walking to, into a church at 7.30 in the morning? Are they doing, are they going in to pray? Are they going into, is there a funeral? Is there, so I would just go, go into a lot of what ifs. Very cool. <laughs> now this story sounds like this was like a long time coming. What sort of happened that you said, okay, it's time to write this thing? Um, it's been about uh, 10 years since my husband passed away. And um, I wrote this story more as a homage to him because I wanted him, I wanted the legacy, his legacy to live on because his attitude is Moose's attitude. And I wanted people to see other what his attitude would have been when he, if he still continued on. I'm sorry to hear about his passing. Thank you. Really. What is his legacy, would you say? Um, to let things happen. Yeah. Let things slide. Let things go. Just let things go. And tolerate what you can. And when you get to a point, then don't tolerate it anymore. Yeah. Stand up for yourself. I like that. Yeah. I like that. How does it feel to get this out there? Um, it's, I, I, it's, something that I, it's something that I really wanted to do because I wanted to make sure that other people would see what, not only, because the, the veterinarian is a lot like me, but not exactly like me. Um, and the, the, the person, the, and, and Moose is, is a lot like my husband, like I said. So, um, I'm, the question just flew right out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> How it feels to get this out there. Oh, okay. Um, it feels like it was a necessary thing, a purging. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, my, mind you, I've been carrying the torch for the man for 10 years. And I, it's not like I'm going to find another person like him again. But that's okay. You know, and I think I got to the point where in, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. And so I think I got to the point and he got to the point where, okay, we're done. We can, you can move on now. Mm -hmm. So that's why I wrote this because I also wanted everybody else to see. Mm -hmm. Given how personal the story is, did you have to do a lot of like back and forth before you said, okay, it's done, it's ready, we can put it out there? No, I put it out, I, I did it in one month. Okay, one month. One month. One month. I did it in one month. How? I, I just sat and it, it, it came fully formed. Yeah. It, it was like it must have been percolating in my head for years. And just when I sat down to write the story, I wrote it. I had it. I wrote it in January. I edited it in February. I sent it to the publisher in March. And he... And he sent me the first edits finally in September because he had other books to do. Mm -hmm. um, but I sent it over to him in March, and it was sitting in his queue for since March. <laughs> so, and we only did one edit pass 
as opposed to usually we do three. We only did one edit pass because he said this is solid. That's a good sign, actually. Yeah. That's a really good sign. So, uh, I mean, I don't know how, how it, it just happened. You know, it, like I said, I'm a spiritual person. So yeah. I kind of like think I was just inspired and I was just channeling stuff. Yeah. Now, of course, recalling what happens in our lives can be a tricky thing at best. Like, yes. we think we know what happens. But did you have to take a lot of trips down, like, um, uh, memory lane or contact, like, the carnival folks to say, okay, what exactly happened? Do I have this right? Nope. Really? I did, I did it entirely by memory because not only that, but my memory also is not that great. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. And my memory also fills in a lot of gaps with a few of the more interesting tidbits yeah. that really didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like I said, you know, like we remember things, but then someone says, no, that's not what happened at all, actually. You're right. kind of filling the blanks there. And, and the thing about the carnival people is that the turnover there is very high. Oh, sure. So even if I wanted to go back to the because the carnival still exists. Really? What's it called? Rockwell Amusements. Excellent. <laughs> they still do... Um, little pop-up carnivals everywhere. Nice. Um, and, but they don't have a petting zoo. Okay. The petting zoo was from a different carnival that joined up with Rockwell in uh, one spot. Okay. So, um, the the um, Rockwell, like I said, they probably are changed owners. They probably changed everything. Mm-hmm. It's been twenty years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's been way too long. I get you. I get you. All right. Um, so the main, uh, so the uh, the veterinarian in your story, um, do they bear a strong resemblance to you? Is is, is it, or like is it you? No, it's just a strong resemblance. It's yeah. not totally me. I don't know anything about veterinarian. <laughs> I I I, don't, I mean I I the cat get the cat throws up. I go run to the vet. You know. Fair I enough. Mean, yeah. I don't. I I don't know. Um, and the um. Most of the veterinarian information I pretty much got off the internet. Okay. Um, and the stuff that I didn't know, I glossed right over. <laughs> <laughs> Went in out, techno babble. Yes. And um, for instance, one of the scenes is that the veterinarian, the veterinarian has to go back to her old vet. Did they actually do that? I don't know, but I hope they did because in my for the purposes of my story, I had to do that. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, oh, there are some things that I'm I'm taking liberties with, mm-hmm. but in general, it's it's pretty it's it's not it's not me definitely not me because I wouldn't get to the point where she got I would have gotten a lot further back. Mm-hmm. Then and I would have said, "Okay, you people are just too crazy. I can't stand you people. I'm done." <laughs> oh man, what's it like being in a carnival? It is a. It's it's very hard work. Yeah. Um, you are on your feet mm-hmm. for two to three hours at a time. You get breaks every two to three hours. Mm-hmm. Um. And you're only getting 15 to 20 minute breaks. Ooh. Um, they don't time you, though. That's good. Because they, they kind of like assume that you're going to take 15 to 20 minutes or so, um, which is long enough for you to get in the food line, get the funnel cake, and get back to your spot. <laughs> <laughs> and funnel cake is definitely, you know, the thing to do when you're doing, like, heavy labor all day, Yes. Right? <laughs> 
or the doughboys in this area. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, and then um, its setup is done overnight in one day. They go there on a Thursday. They do the setup. Friday is the carnival. Saturday, Saturday night. Sunday, Sunday night. At Sunday night, it's about seven, about eight or nine o'clock. And at eight or nine o'clock, they tear down. We have to get gone by sunrise the next day. Oh wow! So it's all hands on deck, pulling together all the rides, tearing them all down, packing them all up, getting them in the trucks, and making the place look like you've never been there before. So even though the grass is pressed down, yeah. that, but that's the only thing they allow. Sure. No trash. No 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 pikes. No no speed. No nothing in the in in the um, ground. You know, it's just you got to clean it all up and get it all out in, by sunrise on Monday morning. Now, what led you to be in a in a carnival in the first place? Well, my husband couldn't find a job, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't he wasn't my husband at the time; he was my boyfriend. And I said to myself, as an anthropological experiment, I think I'm going to try this carnival thing to see what it's like, to see what the what the kind of people are. Oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> that was a choice, right? That was a choice. Oh, it, I mean, you hear things about carnivals, and some of the stuff is a little wild. Yep. Um, there's drugs. There's sex. There's more drugs. Oh. Um, or at least there was. It might have changed between now and then because yeah. of a lot of the... Uh, things going on with with um, kids and things sure yeah so but we had felons we had prisoners ex-prisoners we had a lot of anybody who could not get a job gravitated towards these carnivals and like i said it could have changed between now and then but in those days everything going anything went yeah. <laughs> what happened that you got out of it? Did you just get kind of like had your fill? Yeah, it was it was just a summer. Yeah. It was just a summer and I decided that I I can't do this anymore. <laughs> Experiment done, moving on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, Cuz I had a real job. Okay. I mean, I worked 40 hours a week, then I got in my car and I drove to whatever the spot was. Wow. And then I was there from Sunday from from Friday night mm-hmm. all the way to Sunday morning. Monday morning they they let me go. They let me go early on Monday uh, Sunday night. They they let me go at around eleven o'clock, saying knowing that I had a real job. Sure, yeah. So then I'd have to drive home, crash, get up for work on Monday morning. <laughs> One summer was enough. Yeah, for me. once I don't think I would last more than a couple of weeks at that. I'd yeah, be like, yeah, this is this is dumb. I'm I quit. Yeah, it was it was it's very it's very hard work. Yeah, sounds it. Yeah, and I even had the cushiest job, which was the ticket booth. Ooh. Yeah, that was the cushiest job in the in the carnival. Yeah. But I had that until the um, the daughter showed up from who owned the carnival, and she wanted that job. Oh, no. So then I ended up on the bouncy house. Oh. <laughs> Where I had to stand for two to three hours a day in the hot sun. One time in Newport, we, we were in Newport, and 
it was so hot, I took an ice cube and I put it on one of the metal rides yeah. and it melted immediately. Oh boy. It was like, it was so hot. That's brutal. <laughs> that is brutal. All right. Well, moving on, you, uh, this book is on its own, amazing news, but you also have a short story series called Death. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is part of a series that is uh, linked to the tarot cards, and it's sort of like it's like take on death, right? Right. Well, in this case, w- the series is called The Storyteller's Tarot. Okay. And um, the first book, the, or the first story in it is called Death. Ah. Um, and that's coming out in October 29th. Ooh. 22nd. 22nd. No. 29th. <laughs> <laughs> pretty soon, pretty soon, really folks. Soon. <laughs> um, so it's coming out very soon, and in time for Halloween, and um, it was one of the very few because um, the publisher told me it was one of the very few stories that he got that all the judges, because he has somebody read every, all of them and judge whether or not they, all the judges said take the story. This was really good. Wow. So I just had to make a few cosmetic changes, yeah. and then it was fine. Now, th- this and Carnival Farm, you know, it seems like you, you had a lot of success when, uh, when it comes to, uh, to the, uh, the editing process. Yes. Very little changes to make. Is it usually that way for you? Um, I usually edit myself, myself oh. first. Okay. Like, I, I write the story and then I put it aside for, like, a couple of weeks. Yep. And then I go back to it and it's like I have it with fresh eyes. So I can catch all the mistakes and all the errors and all the things. Carnival Farm, I was able to read through in one one sitting, and I was able to edit out the consistency errors and the continuity problems and all mm-hmm. of that. Um, Death, because it's a short story, yeah. I, I could I edited it, I put it, I wrote it, I let it sit for two weeks, I went back and I edit, edited it and I sent it back to him. Okay. I sent it to the publisher. Now, without giving away any spoilers, because we are a strong spoiler-free program, you got to get the books, folks. you got to get the books. What can people expect as the short story series continues? They will be different tarot cards, mm-hmm. um, and they will be um, stories of my interpretation and my understanding of, because I've been reading tarot for about 35 years. Wow. So, yeah, I'm old. Um, <laughs> I didn't say it. I didn't say it. <laughs> so I, um, I've been reading for a long time, so yeah. I know how tarot works. And I've always wanted to have my own tarot deck, to create my own tarot deck. And the publisher suggested that I do one for each card, mm-hmm. and then I can use the covers for each card as as my own my own tarot deck. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's what I that's what I kind of what I decided to try and do. So the next one I'm going to try I'm going to send to the publisher. He doesn't know about this yet, guys. <laughs> Don't tell him. <laughs> it's called The Magician. Ooh. And it's about somebody who is an empath who can sense things that happened in the past where like if you walk by He'd know you walk by. He'd be able to sense your past Im- image in that area that you walked by. Hmm. So. 
Now, does someone have to be really familiar with tarot to sort of get the stories? No, because they're not going to Thank be... Thank God. <laughs> I know nothing about it. Because <laughs> they're not going to be... They're, they're, my, they're like my interpretation or what I, when I look at the, at the card or mm-hmm. when I look at the, the name or the word or um, like five of wands means an argument. Yeah. Okay, so I'll just take that and I'll just write an argument story, you know. Um, it has to be 2,000 words or more, but... <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's... It, the, it doesn't have anything to do with tarot itself. Okay. So the, st- the story that I did with death has to do more with death than it has to do with what the tarot card means, which is transformation. Oh, okay. Now, for the folks at home who don't necessarily know, uh, myself included, what exactly is tarot? Sure. Tarot is a quote, fortune-telling or divination. Um, other, other people will say, no, it's more to enlighten your spiritual. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, it's images on cards. Mm-hmm. And if you take the, like, the playing cards and make them a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. um, and you take these cards and then you put images of normal life, such as two people sitting together at a coffee shop. Yep. That's one image. That would be two of cups. Okay. Because that's like a friendship and two people being together. Mm-hmm. Um, two of swords is two people juggling swords, is a person juggling swords, because that's what you're doing. You're juggling too many things at once. Okay. So um, that's in my interpretation of what tarot is. Um, and I've, like I said, I've been reading it for a long time. As fortune telling and as spiritual examination, la la la. <laughs> um, and it's it's more for me to figure out where my where my paths are. Mm-hmm. So if I need to figure out like wh- whether I should do one thing or the other thing, I do two two lines and I figure out this is what's going to happen with the first line and this is what may happen in the second line and. Then I make my decisions from there. Very cool. But tarot cards is not set in stone. You re- when you read them, when I read them, I tell people if I if everything I told you was right, then you didn't listen to me, because everything that's in the tarot cards that I tell you can be changed. Okay. Because everybody has free will. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, what got you into tarot in the first place? Oh, I was a paganish kind of. Like magic, I was bullied when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, it goes back to that. I was bullied when I was a kid, and I was trying to think of ways to get back at people. And the only way I could think of doing it was with magic. <laughs> Wasn't that a movie? It was a movie. It was a movie. Yeah, I, I thought so. <laughs> yeah, they did it years and years ago. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. <laughs> so I mean, but but I first got interested in the spiritual aspect and. Um, and tarot reading, and then eventually I got into Wicca, and then eventually I got into more spiritual stuff, and then I eventually got into magic, and Golden Dawn, and Hermetic magic, and it, it can get complicated. Sounds complicated, it yeah. It can be complicated, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you still, like, into all, all these yes. things now? Yes. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I do. Well, right now I'm studying, not studying, but I'm reading a lot about Hermetic magic, mm-hmm. which is... Um, which is usually using like different uh, elements and conjuring up spirits and mm-hmm. um, not demons, but supposed demons, but 
other people call them demons, but they're really not. And other people call them spirits, and they're really kind of elementals. It gets complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we uh, we could probably dedicate an entire podcast episode to all the different kinds of magic in the world. Yes. Fair enough. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> okay. But I want to talk about, of course, the upcoming um, Run Author Expo. Yes. This uh, last year, it, it was entirely... Um, a virtual event, as was pretty much every kind of Comic-Con, festival, expo, you name it. Mm-hmm. I was in that. How does it feel to be back t- before a live audience? Oh, my God. <laughs> that good, huh? <laughs> I like that. Oh, I just want... I, I, I have missed being in front of people, even though it's not... Um, even though it's probably going to be masked, and yeah, we're probably going to be... And even though I'm not carnival barking... As I do in other, which you totally should. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what's lining up to your booth though. We're going to have little farm animals, little stuffed farm animals, which will be free with every book. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> Very nice. So we will have that, um, but that's at the that's only going to be at the expo. Yeah. And and we're also going to have um, a ver a. The, uh, one of my books has gotten a has been a, approved for a director's cut. That's right. That's right. I saw that on your Twitter. Yes, and um, it's been approved for a director's cut, and that should be at the expo, only at the expo, not even at Amazon, oh. not anywhere else, and it'll be only at at the expo. So, so you got to be there. You, you got to be there if you want this stuff. And if you want your farm animal too. Yes. Any book, any book, I'll be nice and give any book, anybody a farm animal, but, okay, you, you know, if they buy a book. There you go. <laughs> now, on top of all of this, this would be enough, you know, but you are also a podcaster. You host uh, the Dark Mystic Quill podcast. Yes. Which you recently brought back after a hiatus. Yes. And you also host a small publishing and a big universe podcast. Yes. Where you interview writers as well as, like, audiobook producers and the such. Yes. Um, I'm curious as to how you approach podcasting when you record. My podcast, my podcast, I pretty much write a very basic bare bones outline, mm-hmm. and I make it into a very conversational kind of thing, as if I'm talking to somebody across the, you know, right across from me. And I'm, I, I've got my cheat sheet, and I just kind of go through my cheat sheet, and say, okay, I just want to make these points, and that's why the podcast is only five minutes long. Because it's just me just talking. Mm-hmm. And I can only stand myself talking for so long. <laughs> so that, that's that. The Small Publishing in a Big Universe podcast, I've come at it a lot more professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got the, the items to podcast to record with and I record on zoom and I'm very professional on the interviews and you know um let people talk first and try not to talk people over people (laughs) which is something that I did at first it's a process yes it's a process um so and I also we do also do ads with music Mm. um and I pick out the music for the ads and for the for the different books that we have for coming out with the publisher. What can people look forward to in in both podcasts? Um, in the in my podcast, I'm going to probably go more into my my personal journey. Um, 
I've done journeys on, uh, talked about mental health, magic. The, the tagline is witch, mad, uh, writing witchcraft and woe. Um, and it's probably going to hopefully be no more woes. That's good. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah. Or not much woe. Um, but it, it'll definitely be doing, we'll be doing stuff on not during NaNoWriMo. I'll be podcasting once a week during NaNoWriMo. Um, again, five minutes only because I got got to get seventeen hundred words in a day. You know, <laughs> got writing to do. Yeah, I got writing to do. So, um, and then for so- small publishing and big universe, there will be other interviews, more ads, <laughs> um, more books publishing because he he is publishing at least two to three books a, a month. Oh dear. So. It, it, between all of the imprints that he has on on that on the small publishing in a big universe, he's got so much coming out. And so you've got a very full schedule. Yes. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Lisa, this has been a genuine pleasure. I'm so glad that we get to talk. I definitely cannot wait to check out all the podcasting and the books and the folk the folks at home. Remember, December 11th, Rhodes on the Potuxet, 10 a.m. to 4:30 p.m. You can meet Lisa. You can get your farm animal. <laughs> Uh, and you can see all the wonderful authors that will be there. And we'll be here every Friday, 7 p.m., live. And if you happen to miss it, you can catch, the, uh, you can catch um, uh, my show on uh, Podbean, Spotify, uh, basically wherever you get your podcast. Look up CDY Blackout, and there you'll find it. And folks, we'll see you next week. Author Peter O'Donnell joins me. Pete? Welcome back, man. Great to have you here. Yeah, same. It's been two years since uh, since we got to do this last time. And you've been very busy in in that time. I have, I have. Well, I've been busy all along. It's just it's all coming out. Well, uh, it's all <laughs> it's all happening at once. That's what's going on here. So let us dive right in uh, right into this now. You have a brand new series coming out. Uh, two books released for a seven book series in the Giant Shadow, and this is a bit of a pivot from what you do before. Uh, you said before was a little more like. A little more for like the uh, the uh, the uh, the younger audience. Yeah, and this yeah. is like a Stranger Things kind of vibe. Yeah, uh, yeah. Group, group, uh, group of scientists under a dome doing all sorts of experiments, and everything goes perfectly fine. <laughs> That's not what happens at all. <laughs> not even close. Uh, but walk us through the 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 um, the work of like crafting a story. How did you sort of come up, uh, come up with the the uh, the concept for this? Well, so um, my first love is science fiction. I've always, I grew, cut my teeth on science fiction. As you and I talked last time, we both comic book At guys. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I remember when I was a kid, my father would not buy me comic books, but he would buy me any, any novel that I would read, and I, I went towards science fiction. So I went through all the greats of Isaac Asimov, Greg Bear, the whole list of them. And, uh, you know, there's, there's certain things, when you start reading hard science fiction, you grew up in the Star Wars universe, it's like, you start realizing that there's borders to where the story can go. There's things like, you know, the way spaceships would move, things like that. So I've always spent a lot of time thinking about if I was going to write a science fiction series, how would that work? Mm-hmm. So as I was developing it, um, you know, I, it's one of those things that I've been developing probably since I was about 15, like building this world in my head. And initially, and it's interesting too, because it's like, I know you're, you're working your way through the first book. 
But in the second book, these characters go into a much stranger and broader universe. And this is this is the universe. And I don't want to ruin the end of this book by telling you anything nope, about nope, that. No book. spoilers. No spoilers. But uh, you know, it's 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 a really layered and developed world where they wind up, and and that's that's time that I've put in as far as as developing that story. But the story with the first book, um, I wanted an entrance point for 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 the reader to where they, they don't get dropped into the world of hard science fiction without somebody that they're attached to. Because you can have all these great ideas and all these great, um, you know, these high concepts. But if you're not related to the character, if you're not connected to the characters, then it doesn't mean anything, you mm-hmm. know. And I think that's oftentimes where science fiction kind of lacks a little bit. I mean, they, it's gotten better about it. But certainly, like I'm, like, I'm reading the Foundation series to my kids right now. And, you know, they... They don't care, right? From the beginning, they don't care because it's just there's not much there for the characters. They're not, you can't warm up to them. But we had just finished Ender's Game, which Ender's Game, it's all about the character. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and that's what I was trying to do with this. When I, when I introduced those five characters, which is kind of a lot, I wanted each one to be somebody that you could see yourself in. You know, which I very much put myself into at least two of the characters. Oh, really? so, which ones? I'm curious. Uh, so uh, Ben and Chris, I would say, are the two. Yeah, okay. you, know, you know, and Alex has definitely got some uh, personality traits with my older brother. So. <laughs> uh, do your kids uh, make an appearance in this at all, do you feel? Um, not really. It's, okay. it's kind of because you're dealing with that, that young adult. I, I don't, I don't want to say audience, but those young adult years of your life. And it's like, so you really you kind of go back to your own uh, your own childhood. Not mm-hmm. your childhood, but that, that adole- adolescence age. So, like, the character Katie that's in there, like, she's very much my cousin Megan. She was the pretty girl that had so much more going on than her looks. And it was like nobody ever dove past that. Which, you know, not to not to say, oh, poor pretty girl, but it's like sometimes that's how, like, adolescent boys see girls they only see the surface they never really get to know them underneath so i wanted that character to have layers beneath just how she looked mm-hmm. you know and then, and then the other important thing that i think that the trope so I've, I've read a lot of young adult and you know the trope that always drove and i think this is one of the reasons why it's starting to burn out a little bit is because the trope of the chosen one Oh jeez! Yeah, it just gets kind of old. I hate like, that trope. I, <laughs> I, I hate, 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 hate that trope. The whole chosen one, the destined one. Because the thing is, when you have a character like that, you know they're gonna make it r- right to the end. Exactly. What obstacle they face, exactly. Overcome it. Because I think like the young adult, and I haven't read a whole lot of it, um, but there's a certain there's a certain like line of sand with regards to like action and violence that just won't be won't be crossed because you have that like that like um the uh the younger audience yeah yeah and i certainly that's in the first book like you know i i i sort of walked that line a little bit but it gets darker with this one this book was dark right off the bat actually yeah so so, so this isn't <laughs> this isn't like a spoiler you have your main character trying to like leave the place she, she's i'm uh, meeting up uh, with her friend and her friend is gone yeah, basically. Yeah, Just basically. Finished. Um, Done. Finito. Right at the beginning, like I said, I it's it's paced like a thriller, and and it introduces you like a thriller, and. And like each chapter, I want when you're done with that chapter, I want you to read a little bit more, or want to feel the urge to read a little bit more. And oh, I definitely I feel the urge. <laughs> I'm basically doing like a chapter. I'm either doing like a chapter or or, um, or two a day because I want because like this thing so much happens too that you don't want to like lose the pace. You don't want to be like okay, 
you don't you don't read it for a week and I've forgotten everything. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's definitely it's definitely paced that way. Like that is the intention is to to keep you pushing through the story, mm-hmm. you know. And um, but I I mean any book I I try to write that way to where it's like you know as I'm working because I'm working on the third one right now in the series nice. and it's like. I'm 150 pages into it, roughly, and like I'm like, oh, now I want to keep writing because I've reached <laughs> the point where it's like I'm 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 not just dropping the reader at the end of the chapter; I'm dropping myself. Yeah, you gotta like <laughs> go back and say, okay, what exactly happened? Yeah, and well, and especially when you start dividing up into A plots and B plots, you know, like there's 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 an A plot and a B plot sort of in that, but they're not so far removed from each other. This one's a little bit more so, like like that that cover there. You know, that's one of the plots that's taking place in the story. And then the other plot is um, dealing with some of the other characters. So Let's talk covers, because your covers for the stars beyond the main, so the first one, and the ocean beyond the second one, these are some amazing covers. You can kind of see them right here, folks. The cover art, for me, like can, can either sell a book or totally turn me off. But who'd you work with for this one? Uh, so they're called MILB Art, and uh, they're out of Europe, and they were they were great to work with. I, I'd highly recommend anybody checking them out who's who's thinking about it. They were very. I mean, I'm, you know, I've kind of got an artist mind myself, so I had a very specific idea what I wanted, um, and I, I sent them a lot of samples and different different types of art styles that I dug, and they came back, and I mean, within I think. Three, t- three times maybe that I had to t- that we talked back and forth and they pretty much nailed it so they really did yeah. like, like the cover art for these things is like amazing like the first one you get the very mysterious like desert star vibe here and the second one giant dragon yeah and that's uh, that's a fun little scene in the book too so oh, really well I've always enjoyed undersea adventures too yeah. so that makes sense and about I would say 50% of that book takes place under 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 the water so okay. Given that this is a seven-book series, do you have to carefully plot out the plots? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll bet you do, right? Um, you know, it, it helps, like I said, that it's been developing so long in, in my head. Um, but then, you know, you try to break it down into what, what each book is going to be. Like, right now, the book that I'm working on, there's, there's, there's a whole plot going on beneath the surface of, a, of one planet. And then there's another plot that's going on that's basically a murder mystery that's happening consecutively between the two and it's Katie the character from this book that's that's because I so in this book she does not get as well represented it because and you'll find out why in this book but she's going through some stuff when it gets to this book um and you know it's funny too because I have I have my daughters who are avid readers and it's just like you know if the female character is not where they want it to be, they let me know right away. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so, do you feel like uh, that, that that that's a thing with like young adult that you have um, not really like a balance between like male and female characters? Um, it depends on the book. Yeah. Um, it certainly seems like they they when they go to market it, they they are like, okay, this one's for the boys, this one's for the girls, and okay. it's like you definitely want that audience to where, you know, because Harry Potter is you know, the main character's a boy, but I mean, my kids loved it because of Hermione, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, um, and I think when you represent it that way, and then also, obviously, Young Adult introduces the the whole world of romance, which is, you know, something that, they're, they're in too much danger in the book, in the first one, anyway. There's some of that in the second book, but it's like, you know, it's, it's an adventure story, too. So mm-hmm. it's like, the story has to keep moving, you know? Given the length of the series, how do you sort of pair like the book, uh, the uh, the um, uh, the length of it with like the fast-paced plot? How do you, I guess, how do you avoid just like running out of gas by say book three? 
Um, well, I think, like I said, when you have two plots mm -hmm. um, and they're, they're both moving at the same time, it gives you a chance to kind of pick up and drop off. And it, it keeps the reader going. Like, so a lot of the science that, as, like I said, I don't want to ruin anything for the second book, but there's, there's spaceships and stuff in the second book. And uh, a lot of the science that I'm trying to build around, it's very similar to The Expanse in that I'm trying to get the practical idea of the way space travel would actually work, which mm -hmm. is complicated. Like, the mathematics of it, I've... <laughs> I mean, I know I'm going to get dinged at some point. Somebody's going to read oh, it yeah. and be like, "It's not. It, it won't work this way." I mean, and it, it, it isn't the point, though. It's science fiction. It's not supposed to follow the rules. Oh, but I don't know. I think I think sometimes writing within those rules, like setting yourself up into that position, it, it sort of like it forces you to come up with interesting ideas. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, like I I started watching the Foundation on Apple, and they 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 have something in there, which it was uh, a space elevator. You know, the huh. concept of a space elevator, which okay. is, um, I remember reading a book by Arthur C. Clarke, and the whole book was about the, the construction of a space elevator. And, uh, you know, I always thought that was kind of a neat idea, and I kind of have my own twist in this book that, you know, to where it, it's it's something that an alien species created, so it's not necessarily made by our technology. So, um, where, how did I get off on that? Uh, we were talking about, like, uh, Oh, staying, staying within the rules, yeah, yeah because yeah. when you talk about space travel, like, one of the hardest things is just getting off the planet, you know? Like, sure, yeah. You know, and as I, as I travel through different planets in the story, I'm going to try to come up with, you know, unique things like that, you know, practical ways in which, and a lot of that is, I kind of love research a little bit. Like, if the, the Curse of Purgatory Cove, the pirate mm. book, like, I love deep diving on stuff i really do and i mean i you turn yourself into an expert while you're writing it and then you walk away and you're like i forgot so much <laughs> you know like i interviewed with a guy on the the newport radio station there and i was like it was a very short interview and i like i i like i crammed all my pirate memory history back into my head so i could speak and then we didn't talk about it at all so. naturally <laughs> you know of but course. but with the science fiction stuff it's the same thing to where it's like you you do a lot of deep research into it. Like, so for the first book, mm -hmm. um, some of the scenes that are sort of scary and whatnot, that was inspired uh, heavily by, um, the, you know, the guy that wrote The Relic? Yes. Douglas Preston. Oh, yeah. I, I love those books. That's my, like, all-time favorite, favorite series. I'm actually yeah. currently, I think maybe, like, halfway through the whole, like, Pendergast, like, collection there. So so Douglas Preston has written some nonfiction that's that's really good. Mm -hmm. He wrote one called Talking to the Ground, which mm -hmm. was about his family taking a horseback ride through, like, the Arizona desert. Mm -hmm. And it's for a nonfiction book, you know, it's first person. He's telling it from his point of view. For a nonfiction book, there's some scary scenes in there. And he also, he dives into some of the Navajo mythology that was built around it. And there's a little bit of that in the book. But what I didn't want to do is I did not want to co-opt their religious beliefs into the story. But mm -hmm. that's, that's part of the Southwest, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, so their belief systems are in there. But it, I wasn't going to take it and put it into my, you know, I, I wasn't going to fictionalize anything that was of their religious values. But at the same time, I wanted people to read the book and be like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I mm -hmm. want to learn more about this. You know, like the, the monster slayer and the, those stories, they're, they're, they're really fascinating. So I did a lot of deep diving on that, onto what the Navajo mythology is. And, you know, even trying to pick the region where, where, where the, uh, 
the supposed observatory would be, <laughs> you know, like I, I actually lived out there for a little bit. We lived in Flagstaff for a little while, mm-hmm. which is not too far from the setting of, of that first book, which have you ever gotten to travel out west or? Um, yes, but to um, uh, uh, Oregon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, if you ever get a chance to see the, the American Southwest, it is just absolutely gorgeous. Like, and, like you can't help, like, the, the stars beyond the Mesa, like, when you, you can't, you, you've never seen stars like that. You really haven't. Until you've been out in that desert at night, it is just so gorgeous, you know. And, I mean, you can't help but dream out there, you know. <laughs> so I would, I would highly recommend it. But so a lot, of, a lot of the idea of starting it in the desert started there. Okay. So. Did you have to do a lot of uh, world building for this one, especially given just all the different plots and different like things you were taking on? There is an incredible amount of world building. There are there are uh, um, um, chapters and chapters of of uh, information that I have stored. And like I said, this is tough because I can't. I don't want to tell you what happens in the first one, so you can read the second one. But it's it's. Uh, once you get into it, and the, and the other thing is too, and I said this to my wife in the car today, I was like, I gotta be careful. I don't reveal anything as I'm working on the third. <laughs> yep, exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> because it is a puzzle box. The entire series yeah. is a puzzle box, and you know, at the end of every book, the one thing I want to do is change the dynamic to where, at the end of at the end of the book, I'm not going to call it a cliffhanger, but there's going to be a moment to where you're going to be like, oh, this is not what I thought it was. This has changed. You know. Cool. Cool. Um, so that's why with this, I don't know if you got a chance to look at that. But so that, I only printed up so many of those, and I'm going to bring them to the Comic-Con next weekend. Um, but the the first book right now, you can go to Amazon, get it for free, or you can go to my website, PeteAO.Donald.com, and get a digital download for free. Um, and that's free, no strings attached. And then if you sign up for my newsletter, the, the character guide right there, which has a bunch of illustrations from, from the first book. So if you want to actually see what the characters look like, you can. <laughs> and it's because uh, I'm a poor artist, basically. <laughs> so <laughs> I will disagree with that one. I, I do okay. Yeah, I do, do okay. Do, but you're um, pretty good. Better than me. Yeah. So the, the whole idea is when I'm at the Comic-Con, I'm gonna, if they want to buy both books, I'm going to throw the character guide in. But mm-hmm. I, like I said, I didn't print that many of them. So. <laughs> Let's talk about that now. Of course, uh, this has been a good year because events have uh, uh, come back. We've seen uh, Comic-Cons, Book Expos. You're going to be at the Around Comic-Con next week, which is which happening the 5th through the 7th. And uh, you're going to be, at, of course, at, the, at the, uh, the Author Expo. What's it like knowing that you can get back out there and talk to people? Well, it's... It's great because, you know, like, um, so Sparky and Spazoid, this the, the book that came out in the middle, came mm-hmm. out around Christmas time last year. Now, that's a middle grade book, and it's meant to go to kids, but you can't really sell the kids on the Internet because no. they're not there. You know, you have to sell it to their parents, which, you know, I had a little bit of success with that. But it's like, realistically, I pictured going into schools and being able to do talks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was eliminated. You couldn't do that. I managed to get in a few virtual ones, but like the virtual ones are just, you know, it's very different. Yeah. I mean, you can put PowerPoint things in and I did, <laughs> I turned it into a little bit of a drawing class, which was good, I you know? know. Um, but you just can't do that. So I'm, I'm really, as much as I'm looking forward to the events like Comic-Con and whatnot, I, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to be able to do school visits. Cause I never really got going with them with this book, which, mm-hmm. 
I feel like this one, not that I'm saying that teachers should use, like, tell kids that there's history in here, because there's no actual history in here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. that, there are teachable things in here. There are things that, like, kids can learn from, um, especially here in Rhode Island, because a lot of people don't even realize, like, like we were a pirate haven. Like, we, you know, like, like it, we had such a strong past with it, and it's one of those things that people just don't even think about, you mm-hmm. know? Um so with Sparky and Spazoid, like, I, I can't wait to be able to get back into schools, you know. And and with the older books, you know, by the time they're, they're a young adult audience, it may not be the thing. Like, they're not going to listen to some dude tell them about their books. They're even going to read them or not, you know. Yeah, I get that. But with younger kids, they get very excited about a, a writer coming and talking to them, you know. And um, so, like I said, I got to do some of the virtual ones, which luckily one of them was my own kids. So I got feedback from her. I was like, were they – because you can't tell on a little on no. a little screen if they're paying attention or not. Or, you have no idea. Yeah. So, I, luckily, I had my I had my little spy in the classroom that was like, <laughs> "No, they really liked it. They all bought the book." And it was like, "Yeah, great. great." And they actually, they, it's funny because I got the T-shirt too, you know. And oh. like, apparently, one of the kids, my daughter, wore the T-shirt to school today, and they're like, "I'm gonna order that." So, oh, because they're on T Public. So, yeah, you know, it's good to have your uh, your uh, kids be, being part of your like marketing team. Yeah. Well. I mean, I, the thing is, is, like, I never would have written kids' books if I didn't have kids myself. You yeah. know, like, I never would have do- dove into that. Like, the the pirate book was already under, under, in work in the works, but, like, the, the podcast and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I would not have even considered doing, you know. But I wrote them for them, and then what do you do with them, you know? What do you think you would have written if you, if you, if you uh, didn't have kids? Um, well, so, the first novel I ever wrote was in college, mm-hmm. and it was science fiction, and it was... It was definitely like hard science fiction, but it was also very character based. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I'd like to revisit that book. And it was uh, it was about a probe sent out into outer space, and they instead of instead of having actual people on it, they had personalities down AI basically, but they based Ooh. it on actual people. And the story starts with uh, the main character, who was of course a famous writer. Uh, <laughs> and of he, course and he's trying to figure out what happened to him like someone tried to kill him kill his memory so it's all happening inside a construct mm. so I think I probably would have developed more stories like that to where it would have been science fiction and it would have been but it's it's also I also just follow what I'm interested in you know um, like right now I'm, I'm like um, considering a, a horror novel you know really yeah yeah well very cool I want to do the thing where uh, you have a community that you go back to. And I, I, I want to touch. There's a character of a librarian in this book that so many people have asked me about. And I just kind of, I have an idea who she is, and I want to develop it more. And it's, it's uh, so the town I work in, East Greenwich, which is the town that uh, the Curse of Purgatory Cove is based on, you know, I get to go into a lot of the buildings and whatnot as a firefighter. And, uh, you know, the, the, you get to see the creepier side of it sometimes, you know, so you can let your head run a little bit, you know, <laughs> and that, that library in that town, for some reason, it just, it looks like the back end of a mid- medieval castle. Like it just, it's a huge stone nice. structure on the back side, and yeah. you're just like, so I've always wanted to tell a story set in that library, but set it in West Harbor. So that way the librarians don't think yeah. their library is actually haunted. <laughs> <laughs> you go on the news, uh, the news uh, the next day. <laughs> yeah. Library uh, uh, torn down as, as librarians believe it's haunted. Yeah. Well, it probably might be. I mean, that's the thing, you know, you never know. Like you go down around Patuxet. I always said to my wife when we, we go down there quite a bit and, uh, I walk around, I was like, these houses are so beautiful. I could never live in them, though, because they're all haunted for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that 
that could be another series, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah supposedly uh, Haunted Houses. Well, I heard one time that Stephen King said that his desk goes all the way to the floor because he's always worried something's going to crawl up under him. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, given the, like how he writes, yeah, I yeah. imagine it would make anyone a little, like, paranoid about that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, let's talk about characters because um, I find that, especially in, like, some of these, like, thriller stories, some characters are just there to be, like, cannon fodder, basically. They're there to just occupy space, and that's about it. How do you make your characters matter to the reader? Uh, that's a really good question because so like I said I put part of myself into two of the characters which the one character Ben I was really worried that he was going to annoy the reader because he is he's he is AD, ADHD mm. um, which you know I've got a little touch of myself and I was diagnosed with it as a kid and whatnot and you don't always you feel bad after you do stuff where you weren't in control of yourself but and I think a lot of kids deal with that you know mm. to where it's like you act out, and, and it's like, I really didn't want to do that, but I don't have, you know what I mean? And, like, you learn over the years, and I, I've seen it with my nephews because they have the same thing. So so dealing with that, having those real sort of um, issues that a kid would actually have. You know, like I said, like with the, the character of Katie, the main character, who's, you know, she's she's very pretty, so that's what guys see. They only see her being pretty, but she's also an artist. She's also very intelligent. She's also, you know what I mean? She's also a little bit like her brother in that she has a tendency to do things without thinking. Um, you know, so you try to develop those. The, the trickiest character, to be honest, was the one, Amita, the youngest one, because she's supposed to be genius level. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading an article by Orson Scott Card, the one that wrote Ender's Game, when he was writing Ender's Game. And, like, you know, because those kids, all, uh, all those kids in that book, they're geniuses. Like, mm-hmm. they're, they're the, the, the best of the best. But he's like, but you still have to write them as kids. You know, and, and so that's what you try to focus on. So, like, uh, like, I have a very close relationship with my daughter, Anna, my oldest daughter. So, like, I tried to play into that a little bit to where it's like if I raise my voice to her, it's like, it's the worst thing ever. So I, I hate, I hate it when I raise my voice to her because I know what it does to her, you mm-hmm. know, but sometimes as a father, you still have to, but so, and like, so the relationship that she has with her parents and then actually also another part of that too, is like, I looked at the relationship that my wife as a single child, as you know, as she, it's her and her parents and they were immigrants from Germany. So they were very tight. So, that kind of relationship to where that nuclear family then becomes even closer, you know? So for a girl like that, that's what I tried to dive into. So basically if you're around me and I know you well enough, you're going to wind up in the book a little bit. So Should I work with this? <laughs> I'd have to get to know you better to okay. find all your little, uh, <laughs> little, uh, histories and, uh, all the different character traits and stuff. But I'm okay with that actually. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I've always wanted to be written like into a book in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Not... I worry about that with my brother. Because... <laughs> 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 but it's, it's always, it's always little fractions of people. It's all little, you know, and a part of yourself winds up in every character. No matter yeah. What, you know, yeah. well, that makes sense because like the only, the only uh, personalities you can draw on are the ones, you know, you know, like, a certain, a certain like personality type. If you if you never experienced it, you can't really know what it's like authentically. So I yeah. feel like you gotta sort of draw on like the people around you because that's the ones that you know best. All their little, like you said, all their little eccentricities, their little, all little ticks and all the little things that, that uh, make them up. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that. It helps if you're an empathic person at first, you mm-hmm. know, because like certainly, 
it's funny because like through the pandemic, this is something that we dealt with with my daughter because she's a very empathic person. And it's something that I've dealt with myself to where mm-hmm. like the feelings of other people really, really affect you. Like when somebody's upset, it it's the worst thing for me. I never want to upset anybody. And it's like if somebody's bothered, and we were dealing with that with her because a lot of people were having issues through through the disaster, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then, um, you know, so when you're when you're that kind of person, you also try to examine people in that way, which I think helps as a writer, you know, mm-hmm. to be that empathic person. It doesn't always help you in life because you get beat up quite a bit, but I'll bet. I'll bet. you know, and you, I would not suggest a career in emergency medicine if you, <laughs> yeah, you know, no, no, but you know, everybody got through it, so that's good. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so what is next? And now you mentioned that you're working on the third book. I am, yes. Um, do you have like a schedule for like how often they're going to come out? Um, so I'm hoping to be done with the first draft of the third book by April, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that's building in a little bit of time. You know, that's not too, too bad. And then actually I have already written the, uh, the first draft for the sequel to Sparky and Spazoid. Mm-hmm. So once that goes through an editor and once I, I take another look at it, because you always have to... Like, the, the best editor to me, like, I hire professional editors as well, but the best editor to me is sitting it in a drawer and then going back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Sparky and Spazoid, the, the, the sequel, is sitting in a drawer right now. But I am actually, <laughs> I, I'm sitting it in a drawer, but I also knew that I needed to do the illustrations for it. So, I've been going through and drawing it, and I actually created a webtoon as well. So it's just a four-panel webtoon uh, on, uh, on webtoons. If you go to Sparky and Spaz, you can find it there. Uh, it's four panels, and I'm basically – I was trying to come up with four panels every week on top of everything else, and it was not working. No. So then I was like, wait a second. I've got this novel. So, <laughs> so I've <laughs> – This is all done. Fantastic. Yeah. So I've been – a few weeks back, I started, um, I started mining the novel for – for the for the stories and, it, and it's kind of fun because you take these little scenes to where like you know you have the 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 clever narration comes out because mm-hmm. you can't narrate a cartoon you know like that's, yeah yeah so now you're you're left with the dialogue and the scene and the drawing you know and it's it's you know it's it's nice that it's entertaining for for people that are that have been enjoying it but it's also nice for me because as a storyteller it really teaches you how to focus your illustrations on you know the, the story, you know? Um, so that's, that's been a lot of fun. And I'm hoping at some point, because usually what I do is I'll, like I said, it's four panes. Um, so, you know, just four images, basically kind of like, you know, like your, your, your weeklies back when those were still in the newspaper. (laughs) Um, and then, um, so what I'll do sometimes is I'll do a larger illustration, which will wind up in the book as an illustration in the book when, when I go to publish, um, and then I'll take those smaller illustrations and I'll frame them into the, the four panel setup for the joke, basically, because you know how that works. It's like panel, 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 joke, you know, <laughs> so, which is, I mean, that's, like I said, that's not a bad thing either for a book like Sparky and Spazoid. That's mo- meant to be funny, you know, so. Exactly, um, exactly. All right. Well, Pete, as always, a great time talking to you. Cannot wait to read the rest of The Stars Beyond the Mesa and, and, the, and then check out The Ocean Beyond. But in the meantime, where do folks go to learn more about you and check out your work? Uh, so I have two websites now. I've got PeteAO'Donnell.com. If you go on there, you can get a free copy, a free digital copy of The Stars Beyond the Mesa. If you sign up for the newsletter, you can get the character guide. Um, and then this actually just came out this week as an e-copy. So that's, that's, uh, that's probably the best place to start. But if you want to check out the short stories or 
This entire novel is on there as part of the podcast. You can listen to the whole thing, and if you have a kid that's a reluctant reader, he can read along with it, um, and you can go to illadvisedstories.com for that. But they're all linked together, so one goes to the next. Excellent. All right, folks. Well, that will do it for this week's edition. Uh, definitely next week, same time, same place. And uh, again, once more, the, uh, uh, the Rhode Island Author Expo, December 11th, 9 to 3, so new time, new place at the Crown Plaza in Greenwich Avenue, Warwick, Rhode Island. I'll be there, and hopefully so will you. This is Angelina Singer, author of the Upper World series, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout, the best podcast for independent artists. How's it going, everyone? We are once again back at Stillwater Books for our series of author interviews for the upcoming um, uh, uh, Rhode Island Author Expo, which is happening December 11th, 9 to 3 at the Crown Plaza on Greenwich Avenue in Warwick, so note the new time and location. Still going to be an, an amazing collection of writers, panels, speakers, and a whole lot more, so definitely hope you guys can get down there and check it out. And as you can see, I am behind this pile of wonderful horror here. This is amazing stuff here. Joining me is author Christine Lajewski. She is a, I think the fourth time I think we've had you on the show, probably. I think this is my third interview, yeah. and I, then we did a quick one at the last um, Authors Expo. That is correct, yeah. So Yeah, it was, a, it was a real quick. It was like yeah. five minutes. Yeah, yeah, so... Uh, it's been a little while, definitely. How does it feel to just, you know, now that we're kind of, you know, back to having events, back to having people again? I just did my first live event at Norfolk Public Library, and it just felt so good. And it was with a number of other um, authors who are part of New England Horror Writers, and honest to God, most of the time we were just laughing. <laughs> um, and it was fun. It was fun. I shared my bat picture of a an owl pellet I found in my yard, and um, which was a bat, and it got regurgitated up as, a, as an owl pellet. I can show people here if they want to see it. <laughs> um, you know, but but it actually was talking about. We were answering questions about writing, and this one was a story idea I had, and I was trying to use this regurgitated bat as inspiration and trying to imagine a very giant owl mm. um, eating a developer, <laughs> you know, uh, because he wanted to take over a camp, you know, a nature camp. Nice. And it was like, yeah, nice, but it was like, it, this was my example of a story that just wasn't working. Yeah, It's like exactly. I still, it's, it's on my laptop, it's in the cloud, and it's like, this isn't working, this is a bad story. But yeah. it's, there'll be something I'll borrow from it in the future, I'm sure. Very cool. So what have you been up for the past, like, year and a half? You know, we couldn't do events, obviously, so what have you been doing? Okay, so um, I've actually been writing like mad um, on a, uh, developing a story that appears in this anthology, Wicked Women. Let's try not to knock it over. There we go. Which... And I'm not just saying this because I'm in it. There's some amazing authors in there. You, if you see the, the cover art, it gives you an idea of what you're in for. It's been very well received. I've gotten so much good feedback from it, from, from readers, from reviewers and stuff. But my story, Child of Reason, is about a young a boy with unusual parentage, shall we say. And he's being groomed to take over for these supernatural creatures who can do a lot of dark magic. Um, and he thinks he's helping his parents 
by doing more than he should take on at a very young age. And he actually outdoes his parents, but it doesn't work out well. Very, all right. Um, Think Salem witch hysteria for starters. I like it. I like it. And I saw that you also had recently um, gone back to Barrett's um, uh, Haunted Mansion. Haunted Mansion, Mansion because that's, yes. Because that opened for, for Halloween along with a lot of other haunted houses. Yes. There's fewer of them. They're very difficult to, um, they're very difficult to, to run. They're expensive. Mm. Um, but yeah, I had to take 2000, I had to take 2020 off from haunting. Barrett's did a haunted drive-in with actors. Because I had just moved to Rhode Island, and Rhode Island was spiking at that time, mm. and we didn't have quick tests, and we didn't have a vaccine, the only way I could participate is if I got tested every single week. And as you know, at that time, you didn't get your results for several days, sometimes yeah. for a week. It was like, okay, doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, but I was back, and it was like, it, the, the energy was just incredible. It was one of my best years haunting you know just get they haunters will say they're family and they are yeah they are um, definitely they're surprised they're very normal people you know who just like to like to do things and it's it's an odd bargain that we have people buy a, the ticket because they want to be scared and they will be disappointed if we don't scare them and we scare them yeah and the picture of you and uh, folks if you haven't already check out her um uh her uh, on my uh, Twitter page. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my Facebook page. Yeah. And I'm sure I have that picture somewhere on Twitter as well. Yeah. But my, my uh, Facebook page, my author's page, has me in the dark with the makeup. And we had to wear masks um, and use them creatively, even though we also had to be fully vaccinated. Yeah. And I have to say, I didn't catch a single cold or anything, so I'm very happy about that. That's and good. there's no word of any outbreak or anything yeah. happening at Barrett's. So it worked. We didn't require it of people. Probably about half the people wore masks anyway. Mm -hmm. And it was it was a good, safe, but scary time for everybody. Definitely scared because that picture of you was just terrifying. How did you get all that put together? Um, because we had to wear some t we had to wear uh, some type of medical or cloth mask under anything else we used. And mm -hmm. Barrett's has some of the best makeup people you'll find anywhere. What they did have available was a half mask, sort of a plastic thing that was reminiscent of, of a Viennese carnival, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it would be um, air sprayed or makeup would be applied. There would be appliances applied like for a pirate character there there was like starfish and tentacles attached to it and stuff so it worked with the costume but we were welcome to do our own and several people did several people did um, a medical mask under sort of a burlap um, scarecrow type of thing I took a cloth mask that was kind of a pinky flesh tone that would match a pale pinky white and gray makeup that would go on the upper half of my face. Um, I used acrylic paints to paint what looked like a mangled and torn mouth and then just blended the makeup onto the mask as well as my face. And I thought, this is total fail until I put them all together and looked at myself in the mirror and I just kind of went, holy shit. Yeah, it worked this is very good. well. It worked this very well. This is good. Absolutely. Uh, it was, it, I, it, you know, I can do makeup. I don't even I can't even begin to hold a candle to the professional people who work at these haunts but 
this one came out good. It, it worked well, and and I think you were uh, telling me that people were just like terrified of you too. I'm used to people looking at me and being scared. When I when I surprised people with with that face, it was just it was a look of terror like I have never seen. And this is grown men. Um, if you went through Barrett's, um, there's a an outdoor section that they called condemned. So it's very shadowy to begin with, and it's it's. It's really easy to, even if people see you when you get close, they're, they're more afraid. But there was also a scene in the mansion that I liked, which was a subway car. And it looked exactly like the worst, nastiest car on the red line you've ever been in, um, with all kinds of screaming in the background. And it had a very slow strobe, so it was like this really annoying, flickering fluorescent light. And you got two seconds of darkness intermittently. And so I would be, I would be up on my feet. People would be reacting to me because they saw me. Then the lights would go down for two seconds, and I would be right next to somebody when the lights came up. I don't know how I did not get punched, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. I'm running in the opposite direction. I wouldn't be even be like As thinking a, about. Well, about you know, swinging. it's a it's a narrow aisle like you would find on a red line. Yeah, on the red line, um, there's only one place to go. But you know, I took a chance. I didn't. I didn't touch people but I got really close and when the lights went up and they saw I was right in front of them it was like people going down like a row of dominoes that's great which is which is exactly what you want to see right what 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 we want to see absolutely now we talked earlier about uh the wicked women uh the wicked women anthology uh how did you become a part of this um New England Horror Writers is a group for anybody who writes horror, speculative, you know, sci-fi, fan, dark fantasy, any of that stuff. Um, you can go to their, um, their Facebook page and ask to become a member. You don't have to be published. You just have to be a writer. They're very good at guiding people. Um, great resources. If you're in need of an editor, some of the people there are superb. You know, I mean, you always pay for good for good editing, but these people are good, and you know, they're into the genre, so they're there. That makes it particularly helpful. And so, uh, but once a year, they have an anthology idea, and it's kind of a it's a wicked thing. We've had wicked witches, wicked weird, wicked uh, wicked creatures is the new one that newest one that just came out. Um, you know, wicked. Uh, oh, I can't think of it. Um, I mean, there's. There, I think we're up to nine. It's either seven anthologies or nine anthologies mm. at this point, um, and they're they're good. There's a lot of anthologies out there, and they are, you know, some are better than others, but there is a consistent quality in here. So the the only thing you need to be, um, if you're going to uh, join New England Horror Writers is you need to be from New England. And, um, you know, so this one was uh, edited by Trish Woldridge. Um, mm. It was by women, you know, with, um, uh, you know, across the board. And it was, um, you know, and it was just a great opportunity. Excellent, excellent. Any writers part of this group that you're like a huge fan of? In New England horror writers, oh, or uh, either yeah, either that or the or the or the were part of this book here. Oh man, I can't even name <laughs> the ones I'm a bigger fan of. Um, yeah, there's so many. That's uh, um, I was uh, um, probably Suzanne. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. 
I'm going to go down our list. Suzanne Reynolds Alpert, I really liked her story. Christy Peterson Schoenover. Um, who else did I? I mean, I, I, I almost don't want to mention any one person because I liked everything so well. There's only one or two, you know, and they were, it wasn't that they were, I didn't think the stories were good. There were just some that, I, that were my favorites and mm -hmm. others that were not sure, sure. my favorites. Um, I would say Julian Daniels wrote something that I liked very, very much. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's, um, if, you've, uh, if you've been in the area, you've probably seen these people presenting, reading, um, you know, have, have been an opportunity to talk about their work. So, and it's, I, I don't think you'd be disappointed if you got that anthology. It's really good. Very cool. They're all really good. Now, you've been writing for a number of years, of course, multiple books, this collection. Um, when it comes to writing another story, like, how do you know you have an idea that has legs, uh, that, they, uh, that you can make into a real, like, fright fest? I don't know that you, that anybody does. I think you just take an idea and run with it. I, we started this interview with we, me mentioning the bat, yep, owl pellet, and it's like, there's got to be a good story in that one. <laughs> well, okay, maybe there wasn't. There's some ideas there. Um, sometimes you just, you know, if you, um, if you sign up for um, Horror Tree, which is one place that sends out a Friday newsletter with places that are showing, that are looking um, for submissions, or join New England Horror Writers, they, they will post submissions, you know, if they're aware of them. You find there's a theme, and you think about the theme, and you think what you would do with it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, there are some things I tend not to do. Um, I find my mind does not go to science fiction. I also think I have not read enough of it, so I'm, I'm starting to correct that. Um, but they will have uh, some very specific themes sometimes. Um, um, I wrote for one called The Misbehaving Dead. Okay, it was with, with a lot of latitude. It didn't have to be zombies. It didn't have to be a ghost. Um, that was, I did my story, Mercy Brown and Me, which is um, in this collection, airing on the side of Calamity, about a 14-year-old girl who was convinced she's friends with Mercy Brown, the so-called Exeter vampire, who was actually just a young woman who died of, of tuberculosis back in the 1890s. But she's convinced she's, that's her best friend, and um, she's writing a brief memoir of her past year and her friendship with with Mercy Brown. Um, and that just that just came from the suggestion, um, the misbehaving dead. We're looking for stories. Okay, let's let's go there. The of course the other inspiration was visiting Mercy Brown's grave for the first time. I knew I was gonna write something about it mm -hmm. because people leave tokens there. And oh. if you have you have you seen her grave? I have not. Oh no. my God, you gotta go. Um, I I like to go hike some of the Audubon properties, and there's some there's some really nice places in and around Exeter um, to hike. A really nice place called Stepping Stone Falls. That's down windy little roads that have only recently been paved. And um, but then as long as you're there, you go to go to Route 102 and you visit the Chestnut Hill Baptist Baptist Church. And she she and her family are just under a big tree, actually quite close to the church. You don't even have to look that far to find them, and people leave the weirdest stuff. The first time I visited it, it was fascinating. 
There were little empty nip bottles and empty beer cans. There were coins. Um, there was uh, there were several different tarot cards: the devil, the you know the high priestess. Mm -hmm. There was a hotel pass key, like the old kind from um, you know from Holiday Inn. You know, like the actual key. Um, there were photographs sealed in plastic. There was somebody left a headband with these alien bobbleheads on it. And I'm just looking at all this stuff thinking, huh. well, Mercy Brown is kind of whatever people want her to be, isn't she? Mm -hmm. And that, and Julia, the character in the story, actually says that, mm -hmm. you know, because she's looking at the grave saying, I guess Mercy Brown is whatever people want her to be. Um, something interesting, I went back a few years later, a couple years later, and you know, to visit the grave again. And there's something in the Mercy Brown story where the the narrator, Julia, is, she's kind of frightened by another ghost and wants to seal her in her grave. So she's doing, what does any teenager do? She Googles, how do you, how do you seal a, keep a, a ghost, a spirit in its grave? And she finds you can, um, you can outline the perimeter of the grave in seashells and that will seal the spirit in. So she does that, I go back, a couple years ago to visit Mercy Brown, and somebody had outlined the perimeter of her grave in seashells. And I'm sitting there going, hmm. oh my God, did I do that? <laughs> I don't oh know. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting coincidence. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. So as we mentioned earlier, of course, in December, we have the Rhode Island Island Author Expo. Uh, more than 100 writers will uh, be there. Mm -hmm. What for you is going to be like the best part of just having this event return? Um, I think just to be, just for it to be a live event, mm. I will be part of a panel, which, oh, cool. which I like. And this one, this, um, I'm not sure, I don't really know if they have an official title yet, but it, it's basically world building using technology and using magic. And the idea is how do writers decide who gets to wield this power and then what are the consequences of this power? And I went, oh goody because as I'm expanding on my story, Child of Reason, into a novel, um, it's like nearly done, uh, it is all about this having a lot of dark magic power but no one to guide him as a child and he tries to do the right thing and then it goes wrong and then he tries to fix it and it gets even worse and he's on his way just to becoming a very evil person unless someone or something can turn him around. Hmm. What about uh, world building with your books? Like, how much uh, um, how much time do you spend uh, doing that before you actually start like writing it? Um, the world building generally, if it's happening present time, it's just how does it fit in? Mm -hmm. You know, so how does the story, how does the supernatural aspect fit in? That's been most of it. Um, I've done world building in horror. Um, to, uh, to some extent where you have something fantastic intruding into the real world. Mm -hmm. And so, if, you know, for me it just has to be, it's got to be consistency. Mm -hmm. And it's got to make sense. And you, and you don't want to go to the cliches on why somebody can't use their cell phone, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so um, the world building has been... I. It's less world building than character building. Yeah. For me, it's it starts with character. So it's how the character 
is going to act and then in what environment does he act. So bone belly, for example, would be a great example of that. You have someone in the 17th century who's doing a terrible blasphemous crime and it's so bad that a demon snatches him and his partner in crime right out of their time and then just transforms them and throws them in it. And so one of them lands present day in the woods of Rhode Island, where else? And he's, of this, course. and he's this big gangly creature with an enormous belly and a little pencil neck and an enormous mouth. And he's basically the Buddhist hung, hungry ghost. Anything he eats will turn to dust on his tongue. It tastes foul, and if he swallows anything larger than a few crumbs, it causes great pain, so he's constantly starving. Um, and then he discovers accidentally when he comes upon a corpse um, that one thing actually tastes pretty good to him, and that's human flesh. And he deduces from that that maybe this is a test. He knows it would be the worst sin of all to kill and eat people. So maybe if he can avoid that, he can work his way out of this personal hell he's in. Um, and then he discovers an outdoor haunted attraction, which is his only entertainment and his only solace. And he has to be sort of friends at a distance, though, with the people who work there. A few people know he's there. Nobody gets close, and he won't get close to them. And then, of course, there's something really bad happens, and all the characters have to figure out how to deal with it. But that, all of that was determined by the character him, himself of Bone Belly. Mm -hmm. You know, so how, where does he live where he's not detected? Uh, where and how can he insert himself into the world of men and women and children without causing harm, although sometimes he does cause harm? Um, you know, how is he able to get away, not be seen, or if he's seen, how do people react to him? What do they think they've seen? So that's the world building aspect there. Um, when I wrote that story, I was basing it on the old Trails to Terror at Highland Farms, which is in Wakefield, was in Wakefield, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. They've um, sold the farm, closed it down. There's no Trails to Terror anymore. But I also expanded on the geography. I made it more heavily wooded. I put more abandoned houses out in the woods, just things like that. Um, imagine pathways, put a swamp where it would be convenient for me to have a swamp. And those things, if you flew over the area and looked at it, they may or may not be there. There's a lot of farms. It, there's a lot of rural area there, but it might not look like, like the book depicts. Okay. All right. So what is next for you? What can people I look forward to in terms of like new works? Well, I'm, I'm finishing up the existing work, the, the expansion of my short story, mm -hmm. you know, Child of Reason. So um, I'm just about to write the ending, but I'm also making some changes in characters. So I'm actually doing some heavy revisions first, mm -hmm. then I'll write the, um, write the ending. And I'm hoping I can do that in maybe three to four months, have that done. Excellent. And then try shopping it around and, and see what happens. After that, it's probably, you know, if something catches my interest, I will, I'll do a little short story here, a little piece of flash fiction there and send it in and see if it's accepted. So I'll be doing that type of stuff. I actually have started a poem. I have not done a lot of poetry. But I have, I have one verse written 
of a scene I've imagined. And it's like, I was coming back from Maine and the local college station was just pulling in music from all over with a Halloween theme. And it was like, I'm listening to this for hours. That station had quite a reach. And it was really fascinating because it was just, it was, it was country, it was folk, it was rock, it was, you know, people you've never heard of, local bands and stuff. And it just put me in this mood and I began to imagine somebody being fascinated by an abandoned house or factory, I haven't decided which, going in and meeting an old woman and then things go down from there. And I have one verse that I actually, I think I have, do you wanna hear it? Yeah, go for it. Okay, yeah. this, is, this is rough draft, but it's, and it's just four lines. Do I have it, do I have it, do I have it? Oh no, I'm not. I don't have it, no, 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 no. Okay, I don't have it with me. Okay, sorry, didn't mean to get your hopes up. Anyway, so I Future episode, we'll do this. I want you know, I want to get back to that and finish it up um, because I've I've done a little poetry here and there. I would not consider myself a good poet, a great poet, by any means. But this is one I want to finish. Excellent. So that might be my next challenge. I like you know, I mean, creative people like to challenge themselves. So the next challenge might be to write more poetry. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Christine, as always, great to talk to you. Great to uh, hear about like what's going on in your world. And folks, uh, you can go uh, to Christine Lajeski. Uh, I'm sorry, Christine M. Lajeski. Correction there. Uh, L-A-J-E-W-S-K-I dot com. You can find links to purchase all the books and definitely catch her and the many, many other writers at the Rhode Island Author Expo, December 11th, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Crown Plaza. And we'll see you there.